This text that we're about to hear is generally used to preach the virtue of generosity. Jesus tells someone to give away all they have, sell everything and give it to the poor. And yeah, if you haven't made a pledge to our annual fund yet, I hope you will, but that's not what I want to focus on here today. I want to look at something a little bit more fundamental that lies beneath the surface. This isn't just a text about wealth and money, though that's a part of it. It's really a text about human nature and our ongoing struggle to be moral creatures in spite of our hardwired instincts that tend toward self-preservation at the expense of others. We all want to think, to believe that we are the good guys in the story. The man that Jesus encounters certainly wants to believe that. But is anyone really good? A reading from the book of Luke. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He replied, I have kept all of these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, there is still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Rabbits are generally well regarded for their survival instincts. They're a jumpy, paranoid sort of animal. It's in their nature to be fearful as they have a lot of natural predators. So I can't imagine why, here we go. <laughs> I can't imagine why these rabbits decided to dig a series of tunnels in our backyard, which is rife with signs that a giant golden retriever lives there. I mean, did they not see the trampled grass, the chew toys, or the dog poop sitting right next to where they burrowed a hole for their nest. Did they not catch the scent? Did they not get the memo? Our golden retriever, Furley, is a kind and loving creature. Golden retrievers generally are, but retriever is the operative <laughs> word here. She's a field dog, and it's in her nature to chase down smaller critters 
It didn't take her long to discover the hole in the ground full of newborn baby bunnies or to stick her giant nose down there and fish one of them out and run in wide circles around the yard while it cried out like an infant on a roller coaster. Then, being a retriever, she tried to bring it back inside the house. Furley, my wife Angela cautioned her as she stood on the back deck. Put it down. Put it down, Furley. In one swift motion, Furley swallowed the baby rabbit whole. That's disgusting, Angela sighed. Bad dog! You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Of course, Furley was not ashamed of herself. She was just following her nature. It's not good or bad. It's not righteous or evil. It's just animal instinct. In an effort to protect the young creatures, we put an upturned flower pot over the hole whenever we let Furley outside. But it wasn't long before she discovered another burrow, so we added a second flower pot. And then she found another one, and soon her yard was littered with upside-down flower pots and buckets, but Furley just kept on finding more bunnies. It got to be more than we could keep up with, moving these pots around several times a day as we had to keep the warren open for the parents to return cover up the holes every time we let the dog out. We tried our best to do the right thing, to protect these creatures that had so unwisely settled in our backyard. But in the end, we gave up and let nature take its course. There is a famous philosophical ethical dilemma that I'm sure you've all heard. A train is barreling down the tracks towards five people who are tied to them. You alone have the power to throw a lever that will divert the train, in which case it will run over a single person. From a purely utilitarian perspective, the choice is simple. One death is preferable to five, except that that death will be on your hands, being as you made the choice to pull the lever as opposed to letting things take their more or less natural course. Imagine, though, how much more difficult this scenario becomes if we add in additional complexity. Suppose that the five people tied to the train are all Nazis or politicians that you despise, or that the single person tied to the track, to the other track, is your best friend, or someone who's going to go on to cure cancer. Morality is complicated. Seldom a matter of black and white, nearly always colored in shades of gray. And there's been a great deal of ink spilled over the centuries about our own human nature and whether human beings are fundamentally good or evil. In his uh, book called Why Can't We Be Good, a title that says it all, philosopher Jacob Needleman argues that we have a real longing to be better than we are, but that ultimately, as a species, we fall short. We know that though we may be animals, he writes, we are ethical animals. In everyone, in every place, in every occasion of our lives and culture, we see that we are failing to be what we are meant to be, and we suffer from that. 
and we run from one answer to another, religion, relativism, psychology, medical drugs, psychotropic drugs, mass movements, charismatic leaders, fundamentalisms of all kinds, from the religious to the atheistic to the scientistic. We run here and there looking for our moral power, trying to exercise it, even though all evidence screams out to us that we do not have this power, that we cannot be the moral beings we know deep down that we are meant to be. Of course, Jesus is more succinct than most philosophers, and he says something similar in fewer words. To the man who calls him good teacher, Jesus simply replies, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And as if to demonstrate this point, Jesus then goes on to tell the man to sell everything he has, not just the stuff he doesn't want anymore, not just the things that he can't live without, but everything. Sell it all and give the money to the poor, all of it. But you might as well ask a golden retriever to leave the bunnies alone. I've pried two of them out of her jaws, and I'll tell you, she does not part with them willingly. And in much the same way, we are hesitant to give away the things that we need to survive. Self-preservation is in our nature. And giving away everything we have leaves us vulnerable and insecure. It is more or less an impossible task, and Jesus even acknowledges this. When the disciples ask him, who then can be saved? Jesus replies, what is impossible for mortals is possible for God. And yet, as Needleman argues, we desperately want to be good. I don't personally believe in mustache-twirling villains that tie folks to train tracks while laughing maniacally. Humanity isn't some five-year-old's collection of action figures with clearly delineated good guys and bad guys. Morality is complex. And I think that even the worst of us, by and large, want to believe that they're doing the right thing. So for instance, a, a well-meaning person might decide to get into politics because she wants to make a positive difference in the world. But she finds that winning elections requires vast sums of money, which comes from corporate lobbyists and billionaires with their own agenda. She finds that getting anything done requires making compromises, some of which don't sit well or feel right. Eventually, she begins to feel a desperate need to stay in office, to cling to power, because it's all that she knows. And as she grows more entrenched in politics, and let's face it, wealthier, she begins to lose touch with the struggles of ordinary people. On the strings of her donors, she ends up voting for legislation that favors profits over people and exploitation over preservation. After enough years, she may even find herself tying folks to the proverbial tracks herself. I mean, someone put those people there. Marginalized them, disenfranchised them, exploited them. I just think she managed to convince herself somehow that she was doing the right thing. That it was for the greater good, even though it also happened to be for her own. I suppose it all depends on how one defines good in the first place. Aristotle argued that what we call good is really to act in accordance with virtue. And his definition of virtue was simply excellence, hitting the mark. 
If you excel at something, that is good. Christian notions of compassion, generosity, and love don't really enter into it. So take a guy like Vladimir Putin, who invaded Ukraine and keeps on blowing up the vans that we're trying to raise money for to say nothing of the entire communities that he's decimated and lives he's destroyed. I doubt anyone of us would call him a good guy. I mean, I certainly wouldn't. I think he's behaved monstrously, and yet I imagine he would beg to differ. He would say, I suspect, that he's just operating on a different value system. Putin's personal ethics, I suspect, are more akin to Roman ideology. He believes that power, martial strength, tradition, national pride, personal vanity, are virtuous. Pax Romana, war, is peace. Invading your neighbor is better than loving them. If you're a golden retriever, I suppose you might add eating your neighbor to that list. I'm not trying to be funny or clever. I'm just pointing out that different animals have different ideas about what's good. And that's why we have dysfunctional politics and cultural wars and actual shooting wars. That's why we always have. We can't agree as a species on what it is to be good. So given that, is it really possible to be objectively good? Is no one good but God alone? Well, I think Jesus' point here is that it's impossible to be perfect and to completely overcome our own animal nature. But I do think we do a better job of it in community. What is impossible for mortals, Jesus reminds us, is possible for God. And what's impossible for one of us, by God's grace, is possible for all of us. Mitt Romney famously said that corporations are people. While the ethics and truth of that are debatable, it's true that organizations have personalities, much like the individuals that comprise them. They operate on an agreed-upon set of core values, an ethos. Corporate values tend to veer towards shareholder profits at the expense of all else, which I don't personally like, but they do have an ethos, a creed. And this church is no different. We have an ethos, too. We can recognize that people have different ideas and still put our stake in the ground somewhere. And while we all bring different beliefs and ideas to the table, there are a few important ones that I think we can all agree on in accordance with Jesus' teachings. We believe that love is paramount and that love in all of its forms ought to be celebrated. We believe in peace, achieved not by conquering our neighbors, but by loving them. We believe in generosity and in sharing what we have with those who have nothing. We believe in grace and forgiveness. We reject prejudice, exploitation, violence, and greed. And more importantly, as a body, we put these values into action. This church feeds the hungry and shelters the homeless. We fund and support counseling services and mental health initiatives. We strive to care for God's creation. We open our doors to folks that have been marginalized and we advocate for them. We care for each other when we're sick 
We share what we have, and we try to be a force for good in this world. And look, I know this sounds like a shameless plug, but that's why you should stick around for our annual meeting after worship today, because the things we do here matter, and we do better when we do them together. On our own, we don't always live up to these virtues. We do a better job of it here where we encourage one another, where we keep these values at the top of mind and where we offer opportunities to put them into practice. If this First Congregational Church of Glen Ellen were a person, I think she would be kind and compassionate, generous and courageous. She'd be loving and always glad to see you. A little bit like a golden retriever without the hunting instinct. Friends, here we strive to be good, not in the Aristotelian sense of just being excellent, but in the Christian sense of being loving and gracious and faithful. What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. And perhaps here in God's house, it is possible to be good. Perhaps it's that very desire that Needleman writes about, the desire to be the moral beings we know deep down that we are meant to be that makes us good. Not perfect, but good. Furley is standing in the backyard, a tiny rabbit trapped in her drooling mouth again. She doesn't mean it any harm, really. She just wants to carry it around for a while. I make eye contact with her from the porch, and I tell her to drop it. She doesn't. Furley, come and get a treat, I say, holding up a savory milk bone in the air. Her eyes twitch towards it, and you can almost see the wheels in her head turning, debating the right thing to do. Living in this troubled and broken world, I can relate. It's not always easy to know right from wrong. I'm glad that I have Jesus to tell me, to tell me to let go of my hate, my greed, my pride, whatever ill-advised pursuit I might be tempted to chase to invite me to come inside these doors and find a better way. Miraculously, Furley drops the terrified creature and runs toward the house, her tongue hanging out of her mouth and her breathing heavy as she snatches the bone out of my hand and takes it into the other room. She's a good dog. Am I a good man? I don't know. But I can tell you this. This church has made me a better one. Amen.